Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Welcome to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Biestetos. Thanks so much for finding some time out of your busy day to spend with us here on the show. Today we're going to be talking um, to an attorney, and I recently read an article, and the title of the article was, Do I Need to Hire a Lawyer that Specializes in Franchising? So this is for all of you who are possibly looking at franchise opportunities, Uh, maybe you're thinking about it, you're just doing some research right now, which is all good. You should do all of that. So the article went like this. In the majority of cases, it is best to work with an attorney who focuses on franchising, while general business lawyers will be able to provide counsel regarding business law Franchise-specific lawyers will be able to offer very specialized advice based on their past experience dealing with other franchisors and franchisees. You see, the franchise model is, is a horse of a different color, so to speak. So when purchasing a business, you're not going to have some of the documents that you would if you were purchasing a franchise. So today my guest is Nate Reardon. He is an attorney with West Coast Franchise Law. He has 20 years experience in franchise and business law. So you get both the franchise attorney and the business law attorney with Nate. He says a franchise attorney is an investment in your financial well-being and can help you avoid costly business mistakes. So please help me in welcoming Nate to the show. Nate, welcome to the show. Thank you, Linda. I appreciate that very much, and it's it's fun, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. I am glad that you're here as well, Nate. Uh, before we get started in the the uh, the reason that someone would want to make sure that they hire a franchise attorney during this process, tell me a little bit about your background, Nate, and why did you decide to focus on franchise law? You know, I um, I started out uh, my career as a lawyer, as a as a bankruptcy lawyer, and I got hired by a firm that did. I did that for a while, and then I got hired by a firm that was helping franchisees uh, that were restructuring their debt and, during uh, one of the downturns. And when that was over, uh, some a lot of the franchisees that we were working with that we'd gotten through that just kind of hung around and. I continued working with them, and I, I learned how to work with new franchisees, and it really resonated with me. I, I love working with um, with business owners, and in franchising, you have a higher – you just got support around you. You've got a higher chance of success in a new venture, and you've got the ability to grow and expand more easily uh, when you are larger. And mm-hmm. 
Uh, I like the people that are in franchising. I like the franchisees. I, I, my clients are always the people who own the business. I'm not you know, representing some large institution where I'm talking to someone who doesn't own. Uh, you know, that's got its own, you know, benefits. But I, I like when I'm talking to the business owner uh, directly. And so um, I stuck with it, and I've, I've really enjoyed guiding people through the franchise model as they uh, get into it in the first place or as they grow and uh, make decisions about, you know, goals and uh, their future and how, uh, how franchising can help with that. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, what is a misconception sometimes, Nate, I find is that um, when someone does look at a, at a franchise and they're looking to, to buy into it, sometimes to begin with, they don't know completely what they're buying. I mean, I've heard of cases where they didn't even realize that the contract was for 10 years with the, the franchisor. But it is also good, in my perspective, for them to have someone outside of the franchise that would look at whatever comes up from a third party's perspective or maybe look at it from their side. The first thing that, they always, that, that you're always faced with is the FDD, the Franchise Disclosure Document. So folks, if you haven't, you're not familiar with this, um, and it, is, it, it doesn't hold a candle to any of the romance novels that you pick up at the end of the day and you're reading those before bedtime. This will definitely put you to sleep. So, Nate, tell me, why would someone or why should someone um, present that, fran- that FDD to a franchise attorney for them to read on b- their behalf? Don't they all have the same information in it? You know, it's a uh, it's pretty intimidating stack of paper when you you're sitting in front of it, or uh, a pretty uh, mind numbing uh, scroll if you're if you're reading it on a screen, uh, and your um, and it's overwhelming. And mm-hmm. talking to someone who doesn't have a stake in whether you're going to invest or not is, I think, really beneficial because that kind of person can guide you through what's there and what's significant. And if you're working with a franchise attorney who's done this a lot, a franchise attorney can tell you why the things are there. A franchise attorney, most significantly, I think, can tell you what's not there uh, because mm-hmm. those, FDD, those FDDs are written at a level that you know a high school senior should be able to understand it. And if you if you can if you can manage to concentrate and, and get yourself through it you should be able to understand just about all of it. And, but understanding the significance of it and why it's there is, is a bigger challenge. And having someone who's you know, helping you look at it and basically teaching you about the document is a real benefit. And, and I'm talking here about the disclosure portions of the FDD, not the franchise agreement itself, which is part of the FDD. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You know, it's going to have things in there like, you know, the business experience of the franchisor. Uh, has there been any litigation with the franchisor? Mm-hmm. And you know, this is and this. I I wrote an article once about how um, you know I used to think the FDD was kind of a nuisance that you had to get through on your way to becoming a franchisee. And now I look at it and I think, you know, there's actually a lot of information here. Like you can look in here mm-hmm. and see 
does the franchisor have a history of suing its franchisees? They have to tell you that's the law. And so if you get to the section on litigation that says none, that tells you a lot. The word right. none is, you know, very small. It's one word. It's, it's, you know, but I've seen FDDs where, you know, the litigation section stretches on for patients. Wow. If, if that's the case with your, with your FDD that you're looking at, the attorney who's helping can say, you know what, I think we, we need to ask some questions. What's going on here? Why is this happening? Um, in, 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 if I, I'm turning your question into a very long answer, but um, one of the challenging parts of most FDDs is the, it was called item 19, mm-hmm. the financial disclosure. And uh, the franchisors um, can opt to disclose uh, their financial performance of uh, you know, franchisees or not. And if they do disclose it, they present it in different ways. And I have found working with clients who are, are new to franchising that going through the disclosure about the financial performance of other franchisees is, is very beneficial for them. Uh, as someone who's looked at a lot of different um, item 19s, a lot of different financial disclosures, someone who has, who understands why that's the, the disclosures are written the way they are. And I, I've seen it a lot of different ways. And what, what I think is useful about it is it can tell you a lot, but it can also help you form the basis for more questions when you're validating with other franchisees. And right. Asking a lot, better questions. It, yes. You can become much more informed mm-hmm. if you are taking a good studied look at uh, the different portions of the FDD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Um, one of the things that I always look at when um, before I even present a, contra- uh, a concept to a client, Nate, is I also look at the retention. I look at the litigations, but I also look at retention. Uh, I've seen concepts where retention is 28 to 30%, and there is no way that I'm going to present a concept to a client that says they have a 70% chance of failure. So those are things that maybe the client, if they were reading the FDD on their own, they might not understand the ramifications of it. That is a great point, Linda. Um, And I think that's, well, it just further makes the point. Uh, Having someone who's got um, some context and some insight that you wouldn't necessarily have because you're new and you're doing this Mm -hmm. for the first time is is, uh, deeply beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. So um, when you are going through the FDD, again, a lot of it is standard language. Um, is that pretty much set in stone, Nate, or is there any possibility of negotiation? And if so, what does that look like? Well, let's, um, let me frame this up, if I may. Uh, when we review an FDD with a client, what we typically do is go through the FDD disclosure portions and we talk about the highlights, the things that stand out. A lot of what we go over is an exhibit in the FDD, which is the franchise agreement. And when, when the whole thing's said and done and it's all over, the franchise agreement is what will live on. It'll get signed. It's the agreement between the franchisor and the franchisee. 
and everything else is just going to go in the drawer. The, you know, the FDD will change year over year, and, uh, but the franchise agreement is what you'll sign. And so we go through that franchise agreement with the client very carefully so that they understand with respect to this contract that they're going to sign, what's there, why is it there, what's good about it, what's not good about it, and what's not there. And to return to your question, you know, can you, can you change it? A lot of times the franchisors will tell the prospects, hey, we, we can't negotiate the franchise agreement. And with respect to some of the larger economic issues, that's absolutely true. I mean, you're, you're not going to change the royalty amount. You're not going to change mm-hmm. uh, the amount that you pay for advertising. But uh, we have found that um, what, what we do is we, we go through the agreement and we, we make a list and we, we approach the franchisor with a list of things that we'd like clarification about, things that we just have straight questions about, and things that we'd like to see changed. And there are some things that we can get changed. Uh, and we typically comes in the form of an amendment to the franchise agreement. And they are things that are sometimes specific to the particular client that I'm talking about, or sometimes they are specific to a situation that we're dealing with, um, uh, like the pandemic. And so if, uh, if I may, let me give you, if I can extend my answer, let me give you a couple examples, if that's Certainly. all right. Absolutely. Um, before the pandemic, when I was dealing with retail franchisees, a lot of times the timeline in the franchise agreement said that you had to be open. You had to have a location selected within, you know, let's say, six months, and then you had to be open within 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that, that varies you know, from franchise to franchise. So please, if you're listening, don't take this as, you know, that's what they all say because they don't. But I'm just, for purposes of this example, let's stick with that timeline, six and 12 months. In most metropolitan areas in the United States, it was extremely difficult to find good retail space, secure it, find a builder, and get open in 12 months. And the franchise agreement typically said, hey, if you're not open in 12 months, you're in default. Mm-hmm. Now, most franchisors aren't in the business of taking your upfront franchise fee and then bouncing you out of the system within 12 months. That's just bad business. But, you know, I'm, I'm not here to you know, I, I'm, I'm a lawyer here, and so I've got a job to do. And so what we do is come back and say, look, the reality is, is if, we have, if we're working hard on getting this franchise, if we're looking for a location, if we're trying to get open and we just haven't been able to do it, and it's not our fault, but we've been working hard on it, we want you to extend that deadline. And most franchisors will say, that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. We will we'll put something in writing that says that we will – if you demonstrate that you're working hard, you, you know, best efforts, good faith, whatever, you know, words we want to hang on that, we'll extend the deadline. Uh, so that's, that's an example of um, an amendment that we often got to a lot of franchise agreements. Uh, these days, uh, we're looking at, okay, well, what happens if um, we're forced to close because of mm-hmm. government regulations around COVID-19? And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that scenario is not contemplated by anybody's franchise agreement because it wasn't contemplated by anybody except apparently the insurance people thought of it. But I, I don't think nobody else, um, nobody else seems to have uh, come up with the idea that there would be a global pandemic. Well, and it's so, interesting, you know, it's, Nate, because I did interview a commercial um, insurance broker 
and um, there there are there's a language in there that talks about because I ask about um, uh, business interruption insurance if that if that would cover a pandemic and he said in most cases there's language in there that that um, excludes it from that particular rider. He did say that in a lot of the European insurance companies, it's written in. And that is going to be something that we will probably see contested here in the U.S. And folks, if you're listening to this recording, just to make sure you know, it's December the 1st of 2020. So that's why we are still being impacted by the pandemic. And and you're right, Nate, nobody had this in their 2019 marketing plan. So nobody really knew what to do with this, right? But it is going to be the topic of discussion going forward. So when you're when you're talking to clients and and of course the pandemic comes up, how do you address that? And what does that discussion with the franchisor look like when you want to maybe consider amending uh, the FDD? Everybody I have found, it, first of all, uh, one of the reasons I, I kind of love the, the, the seat that I have is in the last six months, I think I've helped more people into new franchises than I did in the six months previous. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the intrepid nature of people who are entrepreneurs at heart is really inspiring. And I, I will say that what I've seen is a, a little bit of a lean towards selecting franchises that they think are going to be responsive either to COVID-19 or to the trends that COVID-19 is going to start amongst us, things like home care. Um, and so a lot of times when they, they have gotten to me, it, they're making all their choices with the pandemic in mind. And so mm-hmm. uh, the discussion with the clients has been um, ranges from, okay, how do you, how do you feel about this in the context of the pandemic? And they will answer me uh, either yeah, that's why I'm doing this, and that's why I've selected this franchise. To um, look, I'm just not going to put my life on hold forever. Um, you know, this is something I'm mm-hmm. going to get doing. I think we're all going to get through this, and I'm, I'm going to go. And it's going to take me a while to get started. So I'm thinking that by the time, um, you know, I'm through training and preparation and getting open, that will be um, in some semblance of um, uh, normalcy or, you know, moving back towards. Uh, that and I think some of that's just a product of living through the 2008 to 2011 recession um, and, and seeing that the economy does ultimately bounce back. It, mm-hmm. With respect to franchisors, you know, they, everybody's open ideas. You know, nobody's nobody's pretending that they know how this needs to go. So to the extent that we need mm-hmm. to have an amendment that adjusts, um, maybe there are some in-person training requirements that we think are impractical given mm-hmm. travel restrictions and uh, quarantine mandates. Uh, nobody's balked at um, tailoring the agreement to, um, to accommodate people's concerns or, you know, real um, uh, issues with respect to, um, 
you know, travel restrictions and, and your ability to be live and in person. So I, I found mm-hmm. that everybody's really got sort of a, you know, let's get together on this um, spirit, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have really seen um, a lot of the franchisors, their leadership team. I've seen some amazing uh, things come out. They stepped up and did not just the right thing, but they've gone above and beyond. And this was this was in seasoned franchises um, uh, specifically. But even some of the emerging brands have done a really good job stepping up and helping their existing franchisees. Now, Nate, you mentioned home health care earlier. When we're looking, or if somebody's listening, and they're looking at you know, what industry, what, what concept, do you see some that that are going to come out of the pandemic stronger? Uh, have you seen some actually grow during this pandemic? And if so, what industries have you noticed um, um, more of a trend in that? Well, to anyone listening, first of all, let me caution you, do not take marketing and projection advice from your attorney. Um, <laughs> because they're, 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 they're generally incompetent to do that. And, and so having disclaimed my own competency, I will answer your question. Linda. Um, the, um, you know, you, you are seeing more. I think that what people believe is that, you know, everything is about to, it has moved to a more home-centered um, existence. And right. people are, you know, with respect to home health care, you know, people already were generally thinking, I'd rather stay in my home than move into a health, health um, excuse mm-hmm. me, a, a, a retirement facility. Mm-hmm. And um, people are looking for ways to extend that. And, you know, franchising is responding to, you know, I don't know if that's a real trend. My perception is that it is, but, but they're building in that direction. Um, on some of the, and, and so you'll see more of that, people wanting to get involved in that, and people believing that that is responsive not to just COVID-19, but also to the way that people are going to be thinking about managing um, their health care uh, going forward, and that there's a, there's a place for people to play in that. Uh, with respect to retail, uh, the drive-through is king. Um, I read that... Um, I didn't read. I, I was told that um, um, I've got that um, Chipotle has told their real estate brokers that they only want to look at locations that have potential for drive-through. Right. And a lot of drive-through clients are seeing um, stable, if not upturn in business mm. as, the, as mm-hmm. the pandemic continues. KFC, mm-hmm. for example, system wide, I think they're up twenty percent. Wow! You know, people are going to people are going to KFC. They're buying a lot of food. They're going home there. You know, and so, um, you know, lenders have taken notice that you know perhaps that's a safe place to put their money. And you know, so you know, the hard to you know we're talking about sort of first tier national franchise systems. Hard to break into those in some respects, but um, but that is a trend that you're seeing Mm -hmm. um, the resiliency of uh, retail drive-through business. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely to... see that because I know that Chipotle's, um, the locations that I'm familiar with, none of them have a drive I've never seen one. Um, so, I mean, and that's anecdotal. I mean, it's just some broker told me that and mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. looks for sites on the West Coast. But um, um, so I haven't, I, I've yet to see a Chipotle with a drive-thru. Yeah, Who knows? That's Coming soon to a town near you. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I tell you what I do know, Nate, and is that I need to take a commercial break. But I tell you what, I love stories and you've shared so much, and um, I have a feeling that you might have a couple of stories you could share with us. I'm going to do my best to, to give you something that'll give you something to think about, I think. Wonderful. Well, folks, we're going to take a real quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more from Nate Reardon. Ready to update your tired old kitchen or bathroom? Then you need to call Gambone's Custom Home Improvements. Gambone's does all phases of remodeling, specializing in kitchen and bath remodels. Gambone's Custom Home Improvements is a company you can trust. Family owned and operated with an A-plus rating with a BBB. Call Gambone's today, 832-437-8898, or check them out on the web at GamboneCHI.com. That's GamboneCHI.com. Gambone's Custom Home Improvements, where you will get quality work at a quality price. Tune in every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. to Tough Talk Christian Radio with Tony Gambone. Tough Talk Christian Radio is for those who want to share and receive expressions of faith that will help you take the next step in your relationship with Christ. Listen in to hear from others about their experiences of faith and the love of Christ. Call in to share your experiences at 347-989-1363. Learn more by going to toughtalkchristianradio.com. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. Linda Ballesteros is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come, contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. Hey, folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. We're here with franchise attorney Nate Reardon. And, Nate, I ask if you happen to have some stories, but before you share the stories, if someone's listening and they would like more information about how they may be able to work with you as they go through the process of um, uh, looking at franchise opportunities, how would they find out more about West Coast Franchise Law and working with you? All you need to do, thank you for asking, Linda. All you need to do is go to westcoastfranchiselaw.com. And okay. our, our numbers are there, our emails are there. We've got some uh, some information there. There's a video of me talking about F, F, excuse me, FDD reviews. Uh, it's going to sound a little similar to what you've heard here today, but um, but uh, uh, I expand a little bit on sort of the value proposition of working with an attorney. You'll find that there, and uh, um, or just reach out. Um, pull my phone number off the website. Uh, it's for what it's worth. If you've got a pen in hand, it's two zero six nine zero three zero four zero one. But you don't need to remember that because it's obviously on the site. So just go to westcoastfranchiselaw.com and uh, hopefully we've made it as easy as uh, falling down the stairs to just, <laughs> just and less painful. Us. 
And less painful. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Very good, Nate. Well, I can't wait to listen to the story. What do you want to share with us? You know, I'm going to share with you a couple anecdotes that I think um, are things that I think about when I think about franchising. So I've got one client, um, Tim. Uh, Tim was a spent a long time in sort of a let's call it middle management um, in a larger company. And he uh, left and started franchising and he got into a couple, he got into a retail franchise and grew it to grew it to three. And when I was helping him do this, I was much younger earlier in my career and um, uh, I didn't have children yet. I was married, but you know, we just hadn't started. And, after I don't know, I think it'd been probably five or six years, he'd grown from you know that first location to three, and he was about to buy a couple more. And he was in the office uh, in in our conference room. And at the time, I was working for a firm. I was an employee, and we were talking about oh we're you know going to do this, going to buy that, and uh, it came up that you know Tim had some kids and. I said to him, because my perception at the time was that, you know, working for yourself was kind of a grind. And I said, hey, um, how do you balance having your own business with, um, you know, and actually, let me, the way I asked the question was, hey, how do you, um, how, how do you, um, have kids and, uh, you know, make it your kid's stuff uh, when you own your own business. And he looked at me like he didn't understand what I was saying. He goes, how do you not? Mm. And what he meant by that was, um, mm. as I got him to expand on that was, and, and I think about him looking at me and say, how do you not? As if it was so obvious to him, as if he's seen this truth that I didn't. And mm. what he explained to me, and, and I, I work for myself now, and what I can say is that I, completely relate to that retort, which is Tim had the ability to work his own schedule around his children's events mm-hmm. or the things that they needed. Uh, you know, when, you know, when did the kids need to get driven here? When did their, you know, soccer game or whatever their, their recital. And when you work for yourself, you can make it to those things because you get to choose. Mm-hmm. And it was franchising that put Tim in a position to look at me and say, you know, as if I were crazy and say, well, you got to work for yourself if you want to have that kind of freedom was basically Mm -hmm. the way he was, uh, he was saying it. And he'd been, um, he'd been in both worlds. Uh, Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't really fully understand that until I, I mean, I I took him at his word, but until I worked for myself and started my own firm and had kids myself, I really didn't understand that. The realization that when you are, you know, sure there are times when you work long hours and, you know, you care more than the people that work for you. But um, if there's an important doctor's appointment and, you know, you need to be there, then you just go and you don't have to schedule yourself out. You just, you just go and it makes life a lot simpler. And, you know, Nate, I was in corporate. I was, uh, for 30 years, I was in banking. And that was not an option. 
that was never an option to be able to go to the kids' game, to leave early, go to a doctor's, a midday program at school. That was never an option. So I understand when you when you asked the question and he didn't understand what you were talking about because <laughs> I would have asked the same thing because I coming out of corporate I didn't know there was um, there would have been an opportunity for me to do that so. Folks, if you're listening, um, you know, Nate's not saying that you don't work hard. He's just saying that when you work for yourself, there is a way to balance, to have some life balance, you know, lifestyle balance. And what I say these days, Nate, is that I think especially the pandemic, um, that we have discovered that lifestyle is the new wealth that it is so point. much more important sometimes than, um, than the, the money you bring in. Of course, you want to bring in a, a, a good salary, especially if you're working for yourself. But lifestyle has certainly worked its way up to the top of the list of what's important, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I... I'm biased, but um, having the support and the um, experience that a good franchise system brings, it just it it moves you farther along the curve toward getting to a place where you have a business that works for you. And, and again, to your point, Linda, I'm not saying it's not work. Having your own business is a lot of work, um, but I think that you know life and making a living is a lot of work, and so. From my point of view, if you're going to be working hard, why not be working for yourself? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I love that story. Do you have another one you can share with us on the spot? You know what? I've got another one that kind of talks about the other end of um, the franchise experience. I had a client who um, uh, who's uh, second-generation major franchise um, system uh, owner, and you know, I had I had started working with Dad, and then Dad sort of transitioned out, and Son, you know, and I started working together as his son was growing the business. And you know, as I got to know him better, I just it was hard to imagine, you know, his background as a, you know kind of a a wayward teen and a you know sort of a you know someone who adventured a lot coming into um, a fast food environment and deciding to do that. And we were in the middle of a transaction and I said, why did you decide to come back and work with your dad and do this in this franchise system? And he looked at me and he said, do you think Wells Fargo would lend me $80 million to do this transaction if this was Mm -hmm. Mike's Tacos? instead of Taco Bell. And I thought, yeah. you know, that's that's the power of franchising right there. Uh, mm-hmm. The ability to go get financing and grow because you're part of a proven system, it, it just removes some of the hurdles. And, and it mm-hmm. makes growing and getting buy-in from major institutions and landlords that much easier. They just and it's really when when you're new to franchising it's it's hard to see that intangible benefit mm-hmm. but my clients who have a franchise system behind them 
have an easier time getting that lease, getting that loan, and getting that financing because there's just a higher level of institutional confidence. And it's just easier. Uh, it's easier to be Taco Bell than Mike's Tacos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And, folks, this is a really critical part that you need to know about, the, like you said, Nate, the power of having a franchise behind you. Because um, even when you have Mike's Tacos, and you've had it in the family for 30, 40 years, and you're ready to sell it, it will be a lot easier to sell a Taco Bell than it will be Mike's Tacos. Because the customers that come to Mike's Tacos, it may have just been the family. It may have just been neighbors. It may have been people that just liked Mike and and Mary. I don't know. But when you're selling Taco Bell, Nobody really knows who owns Taco Bell. They're coming because of the brand. And if someone's going to buy a business, they're more likely to buy a business that they definitely know um, people are coming to do business with them. Um, so that's a really good point and a really strong point there because it's important to know that the brand does more than just help with funding. It helps with with uh, finding good lease uh, space. But it also, when you get ready to sell that, when you get your exit plan, it's going to be easier to sell that guy than it will be for you to sell Mike's Taco. Don't you think? You know, it's a great point. And it's not only is it going to be easier to sell, uh, and without getting too much into the weeds on this, most restaurant, let's just use this as a comparison, most red restaurant concepts will sell for what, what happens when you go to sell something like this is it sells not for the value of the, the stuff that's in there, the kitchen and the, the, you know, the, the plates or all that, 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 that really, what matters is the, the cash flow. How much cash does the mm-hmm. restaurant create? And, you know, just a, um, a regular, you know, mom and pop owned, business, and even if it's not mom and pop, even if it's pretty big, but it's not national, you're going to take that cash flow, multiply that times two, maybe three. That's going to be your sale price. Right now, if you sell a Taco Bell, you're going to take that same cash flow and multiply that by eight. Mm. And so um, it, it's not just that it's going to be easier to sell because you're going to have an easier market, you're going to have an easier time convincing a buyer of the value but you just, you're going to get more money. And that, um, I, I can't say that's universal to all. You're not going to see necessarily that, that large of a difference. Right now, Taco Bell's a bit of an outlier, but you are going to see a difference in buyer confidence and price in the resilience of your business if it's a franchise. And that typically translates into more money. Sometimes a lot more, sometimes a little more, but almost always more. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that it's a franchise is almost never, you know, always exceptions, I suppose, but the, almost never a detracting factor. It's almost always a positive benefit as part of the sale. Mm-hmm. Now, Nate, do you talk about exit strategies with your clients when they're looking at um, going into a franchise the first time? 
I think you need to be focused on what you're going to do. And so it's one of the questions that we ask is, what, what's your plan? And I want to hear about, you know, are they growing this to um, bring their kids in? And then parenthetically, is that a realistic expectation? But that's a whole different conversation. Um, or are they, are they planning to sell it? And how fast are they going to sell it? And what does that look like? You know, from my standpoint as the attorney, what do they need to know about selling the business? Um, and what does the franchise agreement say about that? But I think having your eye on the end and on the exit, even at the beginning, and understanding what, that, what you'd like that to look like uh, is, is a great starting point. And it also is something that you can, um, once you've had a conversation about the franchise agreement, about you know, exit strategies with someone who knows what that looks like, it makes you a more informed consumer and you can ask some questions about um, what mm-hmm. exits look like in that franchise system, whether you're talking about franchisor or other franchisees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. I'll tell you what, Nate, I really enjoyed this conversation, but we're down to the end of the show and I'm down to those final three questions. And the first question is, if there's someone listening who's considering purchasing a franchise what would you suggest that they do to prepare for the process? They're starting from zero and they haven't, um, yeah. haven't done anything yet. Right. I, you know, most people I will tell them, look, um, find a franchise broker and um, someone that you like that you can work with. And the reason I make that advice is that, a good franchise broker is going to help you distill your choices and, and work with you, consult with you about what's going to work for you. Because first of all, the choices are overwhelming. There's hundreds, if not there's thousands, there's thousands of franchise opportunities out there. Um, and so having someone help guide you through the choices is um, really, really helpful. The second reason to do that is if a franchise broker is coming out of a franchise system, and this is, this is a little bit um, more practical, but if you think about it, it makes sense. Franchise systems are in the business, franchise broker systems are in the business of selling franchises. And so they have an inventory. And to get into a franchise broker's inventory, typically you're going to be a franchise system that can sell because nobody, no franchise broker wants to sell something they can't sell. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're probably looking, if you're working through a franchise broker, at a um, system that validates well, uh, other franchisees are happy with it, and that has uh, decent numbers. And so you just, mm-hmm. you're, you're heightening your chances of exposure to good franchise systems when, um, uh, when you work with a franchise broker. So that's typically my first mm-hmm. advice is just find someone yeah. that, you, that you can work with to help guide you through the choices. Yeah. Cause, because it is, it can be very complicated. It can be overwhelming. So um, uh, it could take years to find something that maybe a broker could would present pretty quickly. So the second question here, Nate is what are two traits that make a successful franchisee? You gotta. That's an interesting question. You you gotta be someone who is 
who's, who's, who's bought in. And you've got to be, you have a willingness to buy into the system and follow the system. And so, uh, you know, I'm not, um, I'm trying to think of how best to frame this without giving you too much dead air while I'm thinking out loud. Um, what doesn't work, you know, I, I've had people come to me and I, I want to franchise and then you start talking and you realize that they really don't want to follow a system. Right. And they really like to figure it out their own. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's what excites you, then, then great. But you shouldn't be in a franchise system because if you're in a franchise right. system, you got to follow the system. And mm-hmm. so I think an open-mindedness, being open-minded uh, with respect to what um, the um, franchise system has to offer and um, persistence, mm-hmm. being persistent yeah. about, you know, your, your daily routine in terms of, and, and it, it, it starts with, you know, vetting franchises all the way into, you know, finding a location, hiring people, finding, you know, customers, and um, all of those things, uh, mm-hmm. you know, executing on a business plan. So um, open-mindedness, persistence, and uh, I, yeah, I guess I'll add a spirit of collaboration because I think that when you approach mm. your business relationships collaboratively, uh, it enhances them. I'm not so sure that that's specific to franchising. I think that's just good advice, but um, it's going to help you in, in, uh, in success in business as a franchisee. Yeah, most definitely, you know, and um, we go back to the part that it has to be right for you. So like you're saying, if you have um, that entrepreneurial spirit and are always wanting to create the next new widget, then franchising might not be for you. And uh, so I think that's a really good point because everybody will be unhappy then. Nobody wins in that situation. So to be able to detect that right up front, that's really important. The final question, Nate, is what does the future of franchising look like? You know, on the, on the everything swings, right? Pendulum swings back and forth. So right now, in the bigger brands, what you're seeing is a trend toward consolidation and bigger franchisees. And so there's a, um, I'd say there's a strata where um, you've got larger, more corporate franchisees owning more and more locations and becoming more and more influential within their systems. Uh And so in the near term, I think you're going to see that sort of consolidation and you're seeing um, uh, in newer franchise systems more um, emphasis on trying to sell um, trying to sell multiple um, packets, trying to get people to buy mm-hmm. like a, a three pack or a five pack. Uh, you know, and what I mean by that is purchasing not one but three franchise agreements to start three businesses. And I guess on the contrary, and I think that'll continue for a while. And then I think, you know, like all things, the pendulum will swing back, and you'll start to see more. Um, moms and pops again. Uh, And that may be in franchise systems that exist now, or it might be in franchise systems that start up that think, you know, we're going to, we're going to do it different the old way, I guess. So I don't know if I had to 
and you're asking me to sort of, I don't know, conjecture about the future, I guess that'd be my, my loose conjecture about the near term and long term. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because um, I do see some um, uh, partnerships coming together and they are buying more and more territories, these multi-packs, um, and then they become master franchise master franchisees where they're able to sell the territories themselves. Um, but that's not for everyone. Uh, some people want to of uh, maybe a more boutique type of franchise. So I think that there's going to be an opportunity for you to look at either side of that because it's just like Nate has said about the FDD and about some of the other information um, that you would have um, agreement that you would have with a franchisor. Uh, I think that all of these opportunities just gives people more choices because every franchise is not, it's not cookie cutter. Just because it's a franchise doesn't mean that it looks the same as the last franchise that you looked at. Absolutely. Yeah. Nate, we are down to the end of the show. One more time, if someone wants to find out more about you, where would they go to do that? Just go to westcoastfranchiselaw.com and follow the bouncing ball from there. (laughs) Wonderful. Nate, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show today. I've really learned a lot, and you brought so much information to our listeners. I really appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Linda, thank you so much for having uh, having me on. I I truly enjoyed our time, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again sometime soon. Sounds great. So, folks, I want to leave you with a quote, as I always do. This is a quote by Tom Paine. says he's an actor. I'm not real sure. But the quote goes like this. All great leaders choose great advisors, people they really trust. And that's what you get when you hire a franchise attorney like Nate Reardon, is you want to have that trusted advisor. I've talked about trusted advisors in the past. You want to have that trusted advisor on your side because I hate to tell you this, but you really don't know everything. In fact, you don't even know what you don't know. So thanks so much, folks, for being with me on All Things Franchising, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today. And be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.